pot. We are running a July promotion to get as many Substack followers as humanly possible to subscribe at SheilaMDean.Substack.com. Please go to the website and hit subscribe uh, for a goal of 500 subscriptions. So far, so good. So that's Liberty in Many Directions, SheilaMDean.Substack.com. So what do you get? What's in it for you? You get podcast content aired specifically on Colin.com from That AI Show, a Saturday show on AI subject matter with conversation, and the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives, as well as specific writings from yours truly. So go ahead, uh, get on board and promote. If you like the stuff that you're hearing and perceiving and reading, Go ahead and try to get at least three to five friends, or a hundred friends if you want, to uh, buy in and subscribe. This is the month to do it. Time is ticking. Let's go. Out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hey, everybody. This is Day 96 of 100 Days with Colin Programming. We're airing live at 8 p.m. And I think that that's something I got to do every single night, every stinking night, um, for 30 minutes. For 100 days in order to increase listenership. So I rallied the troops. Uh, I called as many people to come to the horn as possible. It is possible that on Friday nights that this isn't the most popular happening place to be, which is okay by me. But the point is to have 100 days of programming regardless of who comes, regardless of what happens. I'm generating content so that you can listen to it whenever you want, on demand, here at Colin. And hopefully, if you like the content, you will come more frequently and bring your friends and say, this is a really great podcast, you should listen to it, or just listen to this episode because it was super insightful, or whatever you like about the podcast will be super awesome. I'm going to send it out to a few listeners, a few additional listeners, because listeners are awesome. And we love listeners here at Colin. So I am going to go back to the Unsanction Your Mind, our summer reading series. Uh, we have picked up a copy of Mr. Ben Shapiro's The Authoritarian Moment. And I'm sitting here reading, still reading the same chapter, which is how science TM defeated actual science. And this is part three. So I will resume now. So this is the diversification of science. If science is supposed to be about the pursuit of truth via verification and falsification, the scientific community is supposed to be a meritocracy. Those who do best research ought to receive the most commendations. But when wokeism infuses science, the meritocracy falls by the wayside. The competition of the scientific community becomes subject to the same anti-scientific demand for demographic representation. 
To prove the point, in 2020, the Association of American Medical Colleges hosted professional racist Ibram X. Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones to explain that the standards for entrance into the scientific community ought to be changed in order to achieve demographic parity. Hannah Jones explained to the annual meeting of the AAMC that when she requires a doctor, she tries to seek out a black doctor. And Kenny explained that the lack of black doctors overall is a result of stage four metastatic racism. Kenny told the AAMC, which administers medical college admissions tests, that standardized tests are racist because standardized tests tend to weed out black and Latino students. Either there's something wrong with the test or there's something wrong with the test takers, Kendi said. And of course, to suggest that not all individuals perform equally well on tests is to suggest that something is wrong uh, with some of the test takers, which would make you racist. And all of this supposedly anti-racist action, Hannah Jones agreed, is part and parcel of choosing to, quote, undo the structures that racism created, end quote. This is insulting tripe. It's insulting to those who achieve in the meritocracy. It's even more insulting to those who are assumed victims of the system. More than insulting, however, such ridiculous race-based thinking is dangerous. After all, if the alternative to a meritocracy is wokeism, wouldn't that necessarily mean that the admission of less than qualified people to the highest ranks of science? Yes, but it's happening nonetheless. According to Claremont McKenna professor Frederick Lynch, between 2013 and 2016, medical schools admitted 57% of black applicants with low MCAT to, of 24 to 26, but only 8% of whites and 6% of Asians with those same low scores. Meanwhile, the National Science Foundation, a federal funding agency for science, says that it wants to pursue a diverse STEM workforce. Not the best scientists of all races, but a specifically diverse group. There is no evidence that a more diverse demographic research body should impact the findings of science. Science is not literature. Personal experience should be of little relevance to, in chemistry. But to point this out is to meet with the rage of the mob. In June 2020, Brock University chemist Tomas Hudlicki printed an essay in which Wiley's Antwat Kemi, a prominent chemistry journal. He argued that the push for diversity over merit in chemistry has damaged the standards of the field, stating that diversity training had, quote, influenced hiring practices to the point where the candidate's inclusion in one of the preferred social groups may override his or her qualifications. He also explained the patently obvious truth that the hiring practices that suggest or even mandate equality in terms of absolute numbers of people in specific subgroups is counterproductive if it results in discrimination against the most meritorious candidates. Chemist Woodwork to condemn the essay and its author, the Royal Society of Chemistry and the German Chemical Society penned a statement calling the essay outdated, offensive, and discriminatory, adding, we will not stand for this. Diversity and equality are fantastic strengths in a workplaces, in culture, and in wider society. This not only demonstrated by overwhelming evidence from decades of research, but we also hold it as morally the only acceptable position. 
What overwhelming evidence suggests that prioritizing racial diversity over scientific ability is a fantastic strength? The statement cited no such evidence, but the moral statement, an unscientific statement to be sure, was clear. The journal deleted the article and admitted and added a statement. Something went very wrong here and we're committed to doing better. Two editors were suspended. 16 board member prize winners resigned. They put out a joint statement lamenting the journal's publishing practices, which they said had suppressed ethnic and gender diversity. Suppressed ethnic and gender diversity. So diversity and inequality, I'm just going to break in here and say this. Diversity and equality had suppressed ethnic and gender diversity. Fellow scientists called for Hudlicki to be fired. So in October 2020, the politicization of science and its replacement with the science TM became more obvious than ever before. Science in America issued the first presidential endorsement in its 175-year history. Naturally, they endorsed Joe Biden. We did not do this lightly, the editors intoned. The evidence and the science show that Donald Trump has badly damaged the U.S. and its people because he rejects evidence and science. Joe Biden, by contrast, was providing, quote, fact-based plans to protect our health, our economy, and the environment, end quote. Those fact-based plans were, of course, simply liberal policy prescriptions open to debate. But scientific Americans spoke in the name of the science, TM, not to be outdone. Nature similarly endorsed Joe Biden. Quote, we cannot stand by and let science be undermined. End quote. The editorial board explained. Among their reasons, Trump's rejection of the Iran nuclear deal is decidedly ultra-crepidarian concern. The New England Journal of Medicine, another prominent medical journal, suggested that Trump be booted from office for his COVID response, yet Trump's COVID rhetoric was wild and inconsistent. But even Trump's most ardent critics, were they honest, would recognize that Biden provided no actual COVID plan of his own. Reasonable people will certainly disagree about many political positions taken by candidates, but truth is neither liberal nor conservative, NEJM stated. No science is neither liberal nor conservative, but the science, TM, the radicalized version of science in which scientists speak their politics and in which political actors set the limits of science, is certainly a tool of authoritarian leftists and it predominates across the scientific world. Americans still trust their doctors to tell the truth. They still trust scientists to speak on issues within their purview. But increasingly, they reject the automatic institutional legitimacy of the self-described scientific establishment. And they should. We can only hope that scientists realize that scientific credibility relies not only on membership in the new ruling class, but in the pure legitimacy of the scientific process before the entire field, a field that has transformed the world in extraordinary ways, collapses. And that's the end of that chapter. So we're only about 10 minutes in. So I'd like to chase that with 
a note from Ben Dominich on why Trump's COVID response actually failed. And I thought it was really insightful. So I'm just going to read that as well. You know, he, he did not give a glowing, like, embrace of Trump's, like, treatment of COVID. And I also have my own criticisms of how tr- Trump and, you know, the people in power handled the COVID pandemic. My chief criticism to this day is that they will not surrender the COVID pandemic emergency powers. They could treat anyone with pandemic recommendations. They can make uh, and manufacture medicine and 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 pursuit of treating the, the pandemic. They're free to do all of those things. They can make CDC recommendations and guidelines, but the emergency status of the pandemic gives them overreaching, overarching powers that have been hyper extended. And all through the Congress and all through the governorships of this nation, uh, we have seen very few people in this leadership decide to surrender the pandemic emergency power. In fact, there were so many that actually abused it. They became remarkable examples of people who would abuse their authoritarian power during this time. So I'd like to acknowledge and welcome Miranda and Joshua to the panel of joiners that are here. But first, I need to read this to you. Trump failed the pandemic test that Ron DeSantis won. Okay, so he's he's making his point here. So... Donald Trump has been dinged by some of his supporters for being the biggest vaccine advocate in the world, supporting them in the the success of Operation Warp Speed to the nth degree. But there's an obvious reason that he's doing this. It's the only aspect of his COVID policies that actually worked. Most of his approach was a disaster. Urged on by Tucker Carlson and others, he went along with shutting down the country and the 15 days to slow the spread approach, endorsed repeatedly by a White House unwilling or incapable of taking on the bureaucracy that led us into a maelstrom of terrible policy, which destroyed the education of American children, the small businesses their parents owned, and ultimately paved the way for Joe Biden's presidency. Donald Trump's COVID policy was terrible, and there is no defense of it. There is no one serious who can defend it. He caved to every terrible bureaucrat in the building. And if you think Ron DeSantis won't bring that up, you're a fool. In all likelihood, Donald Trump will soon announce his re-entry into the presidential stakes, a decision that, with the exception of Grover Cleveland and Teddy Roosevelt, is largely unique to American history. In so doing, he plans to build on the successes he had in office, the Supreme Court's decision on abortion and other matters, and the Biden administration's mistreatment of the economy, the border, and the culture. But one thing that will absolutely prove to be problematic for Trump when it comes to a primary, which we will absolutely have, given the machinations of multiple politicians who take issue with his approach or who will seek to supplant him, 
is a defense of his own performance in the last year of his presidency, facing a global pandemic. To say that Trump failed in this moment is putting it lightly. Virtually every decision he made was wrong. With the notable exception of a travel ban, the decision to maintain Anthony Fauci in his role was absurd and insane in retrospect. He kept on Deborah Burks and others long after they had proven to be incompetent. The outsourcing of decisions on keeping schools open was ridiculous. And time and again, he engaged in an approach that ceded authorities to others rather than making decisions himself about the process of governance. In contrast, Ron DeSantis governed as a leader, not trapped by the vagaries of the moment, who made decisions the media judged, but stuck to them in spite of it. Trump, beholden as always to the whim of the newspapers and CNN, caved in the face of this pressure. He allowed Anthony Fauci and others to become the de facto policymakers of the moment. And he did nothing to defend the truly balanced perspectives of those like Scott Atlas and the signers of the Great Barrington Declaration who risked their careers to tell the truth about what our national policy ought to be. Trump will run in 2024 on a record of success, but his Achilles heel is a failure of monstrous proportion at a moment when leadership was needed. The pandemic came, and in its face, he caved like a weakling to the dominant bureaucratic forces that put children in a box and imprisoned workers at home. He met the maskers and let them run wild until he grapples with this failure. His foes in 2024 will be ready to exploit it. DeSantis got it right. Trump got it wrong. It is time for Republicans to reckon, reckon with that fact. Trump and DeSantis jockey for position. The reality is something we can talk about another time. <clears throat> so I'd like to take some calls if possible. We're about 16 minutes into our, our podcast. Would anybody like to call and discuss any of the content that we have? Okay. We have a caller. It's Mr. Mr. Joshua. You may speak. You, well, you, call me lo- you call me loquacious and I haven't spoken like four days. Uh, so I had to, I, I had to, to uh, speak up this evening. Um, so okay. I just want to ask you, yeah, do you think that like, we're still talking about COVID, but obviously I think we've reached herd immunity or herd immunity on that at this point and kind of everybody's just yeah, I, pretending, but they didn't do yeah. enough studies to, to, and they're not measuring immunity. We knew that in late last you mean, year, they, they had no studies. No studies. You mean the you mean the propaganda science hasn't done enough propaganda science to keep creating fear associated with something that is not the major health care crisis that this country faces, you know, when compared to the other health care crises that we face, um, because we don't have adequate health care. It would it'd be helpful to like let us off the hook officially, but I don't I don't necessarily need it. I've moved on with my life. Have you? Well, I'm trying, but we keep talking about it. So that's one of my points. I feel like, um, you know, COVID, the trans uh, issue, um, as well as reproductive rights. Like, I feel like these are fascist distractions uh, by our mainstream media and our puppet politicians and kleptocrats. Um, I don't really, I mean, one of the statistics I saw here recently was, you know, like 50% of people are are thinking like, hey, we're headed for civil war. Now, I think we're kind of going to drink our way into it, so it's going to be pretty pathetic. But um, (laughs) 
I, you know, it's, it's, I just feel like these are distractions from the real issues, which is we are a perpetual war economy. Like, and that is yeah, not good for the climate. Uh, so, and I mean, if we kind of bring it down to those issues, I think that, you know, the majority of population at these lower case levels anyway, which I'm of the lowest case, I think, that exists in this beautiful whatever country we got. I don't, um, I don't think so, have a caste uh, system, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, you have, uh, I'm sorry, you that sounds like a lot of privilege, but anyway, so I think that we have, we've, we've, you know, during this time of us, you know, trying to save people, right, with our measures regarding COVID, which I think has just been a complete disaster capitalism wet dream, uh, was, you know, we've moved from 600 million people that are facing famine to 800 million people that are facing famine around the world. Um, and uh, that's another thing that like, just think that we live in a global world now. We're, like we are interconnected. Like we can't continue to pretend like there's going to be this U.S. that is has 800 to 900 uh, military bases and 840 billion dollars. And we're going to police all over the place when really, you know, the logistics and transportation associated with continuing the uh, nightmare of outsourcing that we decided to do over the last 40 years at the expense of the people and the workers um, and bring it back here. But at the same time, we're bringing it back here, except we're giving the people that are supposed to be building the chips to build all the stuff that we need to create the robots. Um, we're giving them money and subsidizing them now. Like, hey, you guys outsource it. But now that you come back here, we'll, we'll here, buy a state out. Oh, you want to do lithium mining in Las Vegas, or I think it might be California. Those are both a British and an Australian company that have that. The Congo just decided, like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and open up this uh, this basin, this rainforest, or this uh, carbon sink to oil exploration. Because, quite frankly, South Africa is like, hey, why do I have to bear the brunt of climate change when you guys are doing nothing about reducing consumption? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's uh, lots of complaints in there. I mean, I'm, I'm really I know. Tomorrow well, so, cover. Uh, I just have to break in here, in here and get go this, ahead, this please do. plug for that AI show, yeah. which is going to move actually to the sanctioned citizen. So I don't know what I'm going to call it, but I'm, I'm going to call it uh, the unsanctioned AI or something like that. <laughs> Um, so that so that all of the magnetism of the hundred days of Colin can come in here. But the topic is that two hundred and eighty billion dollar bill that passed through the house. I mean, are we functionally nationalizing semiconductor? Did we all agree to do that? I don't think so. Um, you know, and and the amount of mining and whatever would happen, it would happen anyway. It has been happening in order to do this program. I mean, there's, there's semiconductor chips in here, uh, in the phone that I'm using and you're using. So, you know, we're just as guilty of, uh, of end use, you know, corroboration and some, at some level, but our society is kind of commissioning different things. There is a, there's an upside to globalism and then there's a downside to globalism. And the problem with globalism is, lack of decentralization and hegemony, which is the war piece is what you covered earlier. And the fascism piece where you get these massive corporations who are just trying to tell the rest of us how it's going to be uh, is the other problem. So please continue, Joshua. 
Uh, no, I don't think that I have anything to continue. Like you called me loquacious. I had to live up to the adjective. Uh, and, uh, it had been a while, been a while uh, and uh, I, I do hope that we do not have to move on uh, to uh, Glenn Beck's book. I just want to put that commentary in there. I think Shapiro's <laughs> going to be depressing enough. You are helping the pharmacological industrial complex by reading it to people for however number of days it's going to take. But uh, we, it's a different pill to swallow, I guess. Like readings, you know, it's it's not like the whole tome. You know, I'm just reading select readings that apply to, like, the authoritarian moment. It's like your authoritarian boss. I think that's the one you're you're actually going to enjoy. Okay. Boss. I'm so looking to become I, I, one of those eventually. Uh, um, I, uh, why would you yes. want to be an authoritarian? I, I want to return to brunches. You could go to brunch without I'm, being an autocrat. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying Don't to live the life. Brunch about autocracy. You scramble <laughs> eggs and, and, and put orange juice in, in Prosecco and voila, brunch. Oh, it's that's like true. I, that, that seem brunch of one. And I think it should be okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I guess you're on that list. You seem influential, so that's uh, zero other people besides me. Oh. I'm going to let you get off the phone and have a Friday night. I got to get ready for work. Hopefully, it's boring. Oh, what what is this work thing that you do? Because I am a doorman. I'm at a door. I'm a doorman. Uh, literally, like I actually just uh, doorstop is what I probably should call myself uh, at a, like, are you uh, a club. Like uh, at a club? I, I, ish. I would say like uh, I get really angry and my face tells people to leave, and then somebody else comes in and says, "You really probably should leave now." Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's about. Like it's not. Yeah. It's well, <laughs> yeah. That's some like of Yeah. Yeah, I went from uh, cybersecurity to physical security. It's a natural progression. And uh, by the way, this pays a oh, lot fucking okay. less. Yeah, you know, some, sometimes like you know, people do it the other way. They they go they go from physical security into cybersecurity, and they're like, you know, I can just sit here and do nothing. Click 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 click. You know, I but never I got addicted to Twinkies or Cheetos. What? I never got addicted to Twinkies or Cheetos. Like uh, I, uh, my weird science days were over very early in my teens. So um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go into I want to build uh, my mate uh, world. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm rambling That's now and trying to be fun. Uh, well, I th- hey, isn't that what got us where we're at? Is we started to worship the revenge of the nerds guys, and all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, we own you and everything you are." And by the way, that's not good for anyone. They're not we, benevolent masters, after all. <laughs> it's amazing how misogyny works. <laughs> well, the, um, I'll tell you what. What the you know the more modern or updated essential editorial on on you know the character of our <clears throat> new paymasters here is grew and uh the minions and um what is the name of that it's the minions and, and grew and despicable me so if you ever watched yeah. despicable me like the first or any of them 
the commentary is that these these tech overlords and it's kind of like the revenge of the nerds type of character that is a stereotype and that person had like a shark you know a robotic implanted shark underneath the the waters that would bite anything and and so it was indicated that they could become these super villains and nobody would really know it was happening because all they did was just kind of move these buttons from behind the scenes and and it was kind of a really really eloquent illustration that was simple for kids but adults totally got it that's what i thought no i did get I've seen all of those programs. Uh, I've, I have nieces and nephews too. And I, I started to relate too much. And I'm like, hey, there's a lot of like subliminal messaging here that's like, here's the reality of the world. And I'm like, is this like these kids are like, they're aware and they're just looking at me like, yeah, your life is a clusterfuck. Why are you doing it? And I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, so those those are good. Uh, I'm when sure idiocracy. But, you know, I'm sure that's not the words they use, but they're like, you could be just something different. Uncle, Uncle Josh, Uncle Josh. You know, when they get to be like 15, they start the voice low, then it's like, hey, Uncle Josh. Hi. No, when they're 15, when they're 15, my siblings are like, don't fucking talk to him. (laughs) 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 Hi, Uncle Josh. Don't talk to me. Well, no, my, my nieces and nephews are not knuckle draggers. I mean, I, I, I was in Austin like last week and I didn't realize that Alex what did Jones. You do? Like, I, I'm sorry I missed you, bro. Like, you know, what yeah, happened? I'm sure you did. Why were you here? I don't want to talk about why I was there. Let's just say that there was a woman involved. Uh, anyway, uh, but, um, and, uh, but Alex Jones was there too, and I guess uh, Glenn uh, Greenwald went down and interviewed him and somebody else. And I was like, "Fuck! If I would have known that, totally would have crashed that party." Um, uh, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been let by security. Wow! Uh, but, uh, that is they would not have had. Yeah, I would. I mean, I didn't realize that Alex Jones still had 30 million people that act like. I, I was like, I didn't. I didn't want to, it was, he's like uh, Rush Limbaugh to me, like, except for not dead yet. Um, so, Dude, I don't pay uh, attention, obviously, I don't pay attention to Alex. You know, if I did, I, I would totally have been like, hey, Glenn Greenwald's there, maybe I should go over there or something. No, but I was busy. I was busy anyway, and I could talk to Green and, and Greenwald anytime I wanted to call in, so I'll, I'll just see him around the around the edges. I'll be like, hi, Glenn. Yeah, but I just... But Austin's looking, Austin's looking pretty um, gentrified now. Very neoliberal to me. Like the downtown core, there was Austin ambassadors, which I'm like, hey, that's like, that looks like me at security. They're like, hey, we want all the tourists to have a good time and the people with money to really enjoy our downtown spaces. But if you look a little suspect, like, can you get out of the downtown core unless you work here? Because you're just supposed to come to work here. Um, So it, I'm sorry if I'm you know, casting aspersions at your chosen place to relocate to get away from mm-hmm. gentrification and neoliberalism. I'm just saying it's fucking a plague. Um. Uh, well, we're going to do something about it. Uh, I, I sent a strongly worded letter to Austin City Council, and then I'll get my body there in front of the council on any number of issues. I did put out a tweet longer about that. 
which is basically a mirror. I sent it to the council and then I told the world what I said, which is typical of what I do when I do public activism these days. You know, I tell people where are I you, and I are you going to have the, go ahead. I'm just curious if you're going to have the, the, the cops put, uh, 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 ties, zip ties on your uh, and hold your hands behind your back and get a picture for the media because we'd love you to post that for us to show your activism and how dedicated you are to it. You know, I don't think that is activism anymore, but I don't let other people define what my activism is. My activism are you is gonna... so co it's covert, you know, in a lot of cases. It doesn't mean that it's not happening, Josh. So, I was I was I was casting an aspersion at an elected representative that had her Nancy Pelosi take a knee for Kwanzaa moment and she put it on camera, uh, which, you know, that I don't know how many straws you can give AOC for her to essentially. Well, I, I would assume they're metal straws. Well, I'm not uh, even in the same club. So, it, I mean, we've been talking for a while now, Joshua, and, and I'm not in the same party we don't go to the same clubs. We don't hang out at the same bar rooms. We don't go to the same cigar speakeasies. We don't do none of that together. So when I show up, I will I will talk to whom I talk to when I talk to them. And you're going to see it maybe on, on uh, Austin City Government TV at some point. But uh, I have to wrap this up. Uh, I'm sorry. I was very loquacious tonight. Thank you yes. for taking my call. You, you have a great night. Joshua, thank you for stopping by. <laughs> I appreciate it a lot. So thank you for joining. Um, uh, Miranda has left us. And uh, and with that, that's, that's our 96th day of calling. And we're out of here. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.